good morning. Um, I'm Jason, and I am happy you all uh, have made it here today. You know, inside the four walls of LMCC, I'm known as Alicia Lee's husband, um, as well as Noah, Lucy, and now Grace's father. Uh, outside of the church, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a technology entrepreneur uh, by profession. Um, but this morning, I'm actually just here to share what I've seen. Uh, the great thing about just being a regular person uh, is that, and someone who's not on staff here, is that I get to share with you what I've seen in my personal walk with God without the pressure of having to teach uh, or really to persuade. You know, I think of myself as a bit of a witness. Um, when one thinks about the most common uh, type of witness, one usually thinks about a court case. You know, for example, you're having a dinner uh, outdoors at a cafe, and you see a car accident. Well, the police might come to you and, of course, ask you for a statement, and then they might say, hey, we need you to come and be a witness in this court case. Well, in that situation, my only obligation is just to say what I saw. It's not my job to go convince the jury or change the mind of those who are present. Literally, my only job is to say what I saw. And that's kind of how I think about the next couple of minutes here. I'm going to share what I saw and what I continue to see as it relates to the Holy Spirit. By the way, in a court case, if there's an uncooperative witness, the court actually has the power to go and subpoena to compel that witness to show up and testify. And so this analogy is truly accurate in that Marcy had to subpoena me <laughs> to come up here and share with you all today. Well, as Phil mentioned, we've been enjoying the last two weeks uh, in this series called The Holy Spirit in You. And candidly, actually most of what I wanted to bring, uh, rather to talk about, has already been covered by Marcy and by Jasmine. And so I thought what I might try to do is tie it all together uh, with a few practical steps on how to live the spirit-filled life. Now, I'm gonna start this morning with a very, very simple premise, which is that the life that God designed is really not meant to be easy. In fact, it's meant to be impossible. Now, I know this because all of us are struggling the way that we do because we are attempting to do the impossible. This is point one. God created life to be impossible to live apart from him. And for us to even begin to understand the role of the Holy Spirit, how to live a spirit-filled life, how to get to know the Holy Spirit, we actually first have to be utterly convinced that we cannot live life without him. Now, I personally am convinced this is the way that we're supposed to live in deep relationship with God. Rick Warren once observed that when someone on the street sees a nine-car pileup on a highway, or they hear about a tragic plane crash, the very first words out of their mouth, believer 
or non-believer are my God. You see, in that moment, the truth comes out. We were all designed to need God and to be in deep relationship with him. Now, most of us in this room who have been in any form of trying situation probably agree with this point. The late Charles Stanley, who's a hero of mine, said that God is an expert in engineering circumstances so that we find ourselves with nowhere to turn but to him. And many of us have had this experience. For those of us who call ourselves believers, many of us think of the Holy Spirit maybe as a short-term accelerant, like a power boost to get us through a difficult patch. And candidly, I actually think there's a lot of merit to that. God says, when you go through the water, when you pass through the rivers, when you go through the fire, he's going to be with us. Waters, rivers, fires, these are not normal things. These are clearly moments in time when the Holy Spirit's presence is meant to feel real. But you see, I don't actually believe that God intended the Holy Spirit's role to be exclusively for those situations. You see, as we get closer to God, what we realize is that we need the Holy Spirit in our everyday lives just as much as we do in these heightened moments of crisis. This is the point that Jasmine brought to us last week. You see, again, God created life, and that means all of life, to be impossible to live apart from him. Let's say tonight, it's Sunday night, you're planning to cook some dinner, and the recipe you, uh, you're using is calling for onions. What you're, gonna, what you're probably going to notice, excuse me, is that as you peel more and more layers off of that onion, it starts to stink more. You see, the core of the onion is where the greatest concentration of sulfur actually is. That's why we tear up more and more as you cut deeper and deeper into that onion. And that's a bit like the Christian faith. It's like the Christian life. You see, on the outer layer are these situations where it is obvious that we need God and the Holy Spirit. We're in trouble. We, or a family member, just got a bad medical diagnosis. We broke up with our long-term partner. If I may, these are the obvious situations. They are what I call the outer layer of our faith. You're in trouble. So yes, of course, you're going to call out to God. But you see, as God peels away these various layers, we get closer and closer to our core. And just like an onion, our core is actually very, very smelly. <laughs> as God deals with our immediate needs, where we do indeed need to rely upon, feel the Holy Spirit, of course, 
he then, though, starts to get to work on our deeper issues. Issues where we didn't even think we needed the Holy Spirit. You see, he begins to introduce the more subtle parts of our life and our character where we start to realize and acknowledge, boy, I really am sinful. I am pretty helpless. I really do need God in my everyday life. If you don't believe me, Phil just mentioned the Sermon on the Mount. If you don't believe me, try loving your enemy. Actually, let's do this. Try loving your neighbor. Or how about loving that family member? How about not gossiping about that coworker when everyone else is? Or not leaving a snarky comment on a post that you don't agree with anonymously through your burner account? You see, these are impossible things to do right consistently. But I want to assure you that yes, they're supposed to be impossible. The absence of our ability to do something proves the necessity of the thing that we are in fact missing. Our inabilities, our infirmities, our deficiencies, these are all proof points of our need for the Holy Spirit. And so the point here is, don't be frustrated. Please, don't be upset. It's supposed to be this way. You see, point one is God created life to be impossible to live apart from him. And our interaction and our understanding of the Holy Spirit in our lives must begin with that admission. Now, there are many of you in this room who kind of sort of agree with me, but at the same time, you kind of sort of don't. And that's because you aren't really ready yet to make this commitment because you don't actually even know if this whole thing is even real or even worth it. You see, you don't actually disagree with me. You're thinking to yourself, well, God, if you were to make your presence known to me right in front of me, yes, I would follow you. Or if it were me who saw the miracle of Jesus, if I were there, of course I'd follow you. I like bread. I like fish. If Jesus made it right in front of me, of course I would eat it and I would believe. But the reality is, those things aren't happening right in front of you. You aren't seeing his presence in your life. Some of you may actually have known or felt his spirit at one point in your life, but now you don't. And so you're wondering, well, where do I go from here? Let me digress just for one moment away from church stuff, and let me digress to actually business for one moment. In the world of technology startups, there's something called the startup curve. Some of you who have started companies or know about startups or know someone who has started a company, you probably are familiar with this concept. And it goes something like this. You see, in the beginning, everything is awesome. 
You release your first product. You've got initial users. People are downloading your app or buying your product. They're paying you real money. You literally created something out of nothing. You even may get the crowning achievement in early stage tech, which is a reporter from TechCrunch takes interest in your story and they write about you. I mean, literally in this moment, you have arrived. But then slowly, those initial users, they actually start to leave. People stop using your app. They start returning your product. The number of active users gets surpassed by the number of inactive users, or better yet, bots. And that's when you enter into this period that's known as the trough of sorrow. It's also been called the trough of disillusionment, or my favorite, the valley of death. You see, in this period, everyone, literally everyone, starts to question whether your product was even worth building. In this period, it's where you realize that that TechCrunch reporter, why they initially contacted you, is so they can now write a story about your impending demise. Your own employees, they start to quit, they desert you. In this period, you're often running out of money, and so you try to do frantically whatever you can to improve the product, and painfully, you actually get like these wiggles of false hope where users start to come back only to then leave again. And it is in this period where 98% of startups fail. But every now and then, you get a company that brings the right combination of technology, features, marketing, and most importantly, tenacity. And this company, they make it to the other side. I think it's noteworthy that the creator of this graphic, the author, they call this period the promised land. You see, I think this is how many of our walks go with God. Initially, we have this moment, amazing moment of intimacy with God. It could be a conversion moment, something in a crisis, or maybe just hearing the gospel for the first time or understanding it for the first time. But whatever it is, it's all working. We're hearing from God. We feel his Holy Spirit. We're close to him. And usually, usually, the hallmark trait in this period is that God is answering prayers. I prayed for that job, and I got it. I prayed that my sister would be healed, and she was. But then, the novelty begins to wear off. God starts to feel distant. The prayers that we pray, see, they aren't actually being answered anymore. We're doing everything we can to change the product. It feels frustrating. We get tired. And eventually, we all ask, my God, where are you? Where are you? And it's that moment where 98% of us give up. 
This is point two. He who created life to be impossible to live apart from him actually does not want to live apart from you. You see, here's how I actually think it works. You see, in the beginning, God makes sure that you are sure that he's real by being obvious and noticeable in the beginning of our relationship. But then, he becomes less obvious. It's not that he's any less present. It's just that he's less obvious. You see, what starts out in the beginning as everything is clicking often moves into a period where it feels like you're back to being alone again. It's the trough of disillusionment. It's the valley of death. But here is where the spirit-filled life is profoundly different than a startup. He who created life to be impossible to live apart from him actually does not want to live apart from you. Because while God may not seem obvious, his spirit has never left us. In fact, arguably, in order for you to deepen your relationship with God, you got to recognize that he has to become less obvious. He has to go away for you to see and ultimately rely on his spirit. Let me show you what I mean. Let's say that one of you is in one of these seasons where God feels distant. Have you ever sang a song here at church, maybe just now, where you kind of felt something in your heart? Or maybe you're walking down the street and you look up and you see a billboard. It's, a, it's about anything, music, milk, a restaurant, but for some, for some reason it's speaking to you about something you're struggling with. Or you read something in the Bible and, and you say, well, that, that's weird. Where did that come from? Where did that thought come from? Was that God or not? Is it the Holy Spirit? The answer to that question is unequivocally yes. The Spirit speaks in our hearts. He speaks to our hearts. It's just that we choose not to listen. Last week, if you didn't catch it, Clive, one of the members of our church, told a story about how he and his family were approached not once, but twice by strangers on the street on different days as they were talking about God. You see, his sensitivity to the Holy Spirit assured him that he was speaking to him about his faithfulness. But what if Clive decided to ignore it? You see, the very first trick Satan played on us was getting us to question whether we actually did hear from God. In the garden, Satan says, did God really say that? You sure? Was that really God? I want to encourage you in this moment that the voice you're hearing is the Holy Spirit. That dream you had, 
It's not too much pizza. That conversation with a friend, it's not a coincidence. That heart tug you felt or you're feeling right now, believe me, I'm telling you, it's the Holy Spirit. Because how else would he do it? You think he's going to knock on the door, send you an email? This is how he communicates, by placing something on our hearts. And if you don't believe me, I'm going to invite someone up who you should believe. I'm going to invite my friend, Shay Chenery, to share her story about what it's like to hear and follow the Spirit when he speaks. Please join me in welcoming Shay. Good morning, you guys. My name is Shay. For the people that don't know me, I'm married to Phil. We have three kids, and I just graduated nursing school, so I'm studying for my boards. You can pray for that. Um, and now this is where I in, um, insert my Marcy joke. Uh, I took uh, the spiritual test, spiritual gift test a few uh, weeks ago that Phil and Marcy sent out. And um, somehow I swear she knew the results because at the very bottom of my spiritual gifts test was teaching, like my lowest one. And so I swear she, she got it and then was like, we're going to strengthen that muscle a little bit. So... This is not my safe space, so I'm just going to read what I have um, written and prepared today. Um, a real, tangible relationship with the Holy Spirit really started for me two and a half years ago. The Holy Spirit came in unexpectedly and started meeting me in my dreams. And I know that sounds weird to some of you because it sounds weird to me, um, but it was a powerful time where we witness God's redemption, his love, and his faithfulness. As I prepared for this morning, that's what I intended to share. For weeks, I've been planning on sharing that part of our story, how the Holy Spirit led us um, into some incredible redeeming moments that um, began with great pain. But God had a different plan, like he does usually. Um, so cliffhanger, I'm not gonna share that story today, um, and maybe we will share that story soon. Um, but this morning, I feel led to share what I've been walking through the last year with God and specifically what happened this week. Um, it today has more to do with how I got to this moment. The journey is often more important or at least just as important as the destination. This moment right here was just the push I needed to dig in and face some uncomfortable things. I'm here today to testify how the Holy Spirit has moved in my life and how he's never stopped pursuing me or left me. After our big Holy Spirit moment that is saved for another day, <laughs> uh, we felt God calling us out of Washington. We packed up, sold our house, and left without a job to go to or a place to call home. I remember telling my friends before we left, I felt like the Israelites wandering the desert waiting for the promised land, which sounds very dramatic, and it sounds dramatic just saying that today, but it's how I felt. Um, a few months later, though, we got a job here at LMCC, and I thought my time of wandering was over, and I was very thankful it didn't last for 40 years. Um, but a year ago, someone I love very much and care about deeply told me, that God had left me because they thought I made a wrong choice. 
the wrong choice in a judgment call that was complicated and full of prayer and wasn't taken flippantly. Those words spoke over me by someone I love and trusted spit me right back into a place of wandering, less figuratively and more mentally. When someone you respect and someone you have gone to for spiritual guidance tells you God has left you, it can really shake you, and it shook me. When these words were first said to me, my brain knew that God hadn't left me because I know that it doesn't work like that. But my heart in times of challenge started to filter everything through that lens. And this year has been challenging and heartbreaking at times for our family. Among so many things, I lost my best friend to cancer in November. We lost my beautiful mother-in-law to cancer on Christmas morning. And more recently, doctors found an unknown mass on my uterus in the winter, and I spent months with thoughts that I might have a similar journey ahead waiting on my mind. When faced with all this grief and uncertainty, it wasn't hard for my heart to start wandering, wondering if I maybe, if maybe God had left me after all. And then last week, those words were spoken over me again by another person connected to the first person who I deeply, deeply love. And it wrecked me. It knocked the wind right out of me, and I couldn't help but connect the dots that it might just be true. So I came to church last weekend feeling separated from God, from Jesus and the Holy Spirit, sitting here listening to the band sing about the king of kings the one worthy of it all i felt unworthy to worship the king my brain had finally won the battle with my heart and i believed the curse that had been spoken over me and then the holy spirit came in like it does and last week um, the holy spirit started opening my heart and my brain to god's love started during prayer we were asked to pray with the person next to us and everything in me, like I know some of you feel this, wanted to get up and walk to the bathroom and, and completely avoid the whole situation. But I decided to lean in one more time and there was Kathleen sitting next to me and she put her arm around me and started praying over me. And I can't tell you what she said, but her embrace was like a hug from the Lord. After that, she asked me to go to lunch with her on Tuesday and we made plans. And after praying with Kathleen, I felt a renewed spirit that God was meeting me right where I was, that maybe I could get back to God's good graces, whatever that means. Uh, the next day, Monday, Winnie, our youngest, woke up in agonizing pain and couldn't walk. Uh, we spent all day in, emer in the emergency department at two different hospitals trying to figure out what was going on. And the same thought kept coming back into my mind. Maybe God has left me. After what seemed like a very long day, when he was diagnosed with transient synovitis, which is when an ordinary cold virus in a young child causes pain and infl inflammation in the joints. The outcome was she will hopefully start walking in the next few days to weeks. But in the meantime, just carry her around and give her Motrin, which I mean, that just is, was terrible news for me because I did not want to carry her around for the next few weeks, but I was thankful that she was going to be okay. We got home that night after spending all day in the hospital. 
I had felt defeated, and I went to bed that night feeling so far from God and lost as to how to get back to him. I went to bed, and the Holy Spirit met me in my dreams like he does when he's trying to get it to my attention. There was Kathleen in my dreams asking me what we were going to discuss at our lunch the following day. <laughs> my response to her was, what do you mean? We're going to talk about what normal people talk about at lunch. I don't know. And her response in my dream was, we need to talk about Deuteronomy 4. And then I woke up, which just a disclaimer, I'm the worst at reading my Bible, so this is not something that I've been sitting in or reading. It's, I don't think I've ever really read Deuteronomy, to be honest with you. Um, so this was very out of the blue. Um, for a long time, I felt very uncomfortable sharing that the Holy Spirit speaks to me in my dreams. But I've seen how he's used these dreams to save my family, to care for me, and to share insight on tough situations. When I get these dreams from the Holy Spirit, most of the time I wake up in a pool of tears or I can't get back to sleep. It's like a race of an adrenaline and I cannot shake it. It felt like an itch I had to scratch, so I got up and I read Deuteronomy 4 in the middle of the night, and there is a lot to Deuteronomy 4. And I'm not going to hit on everything, but there are a few things that I need to point out today. This book is written by Moses towards the end of his ministry. He's sharing the last few sermons before he dies and the Israelites go into the promised land. I realized I had been wandering, looking for God, trying to find my, my way back to him. I even spoke those words to my friends years prior and they stuck with me. Reading this gave me a sense that God is bringing me out of my wandering, but that he needed to address a few things with me first. Moses says to his people, don't forget what God has done. God, has, God had shown up for the Israelites in ways that no one had experienced before, and they were acting like it never happened. That was me. I saw and experienced the Holy Spirit move, and I had forgotten, casting it back in the back of my mind. And that's, again, that story we haven't shared yet, but... The Holy Spirit was using Moses' words to remind me of what I had witnessed back in Washington. Moses also tells his people, do not worship men or women or any other idols. And it hit me again in a way that I had been worshiping the words that people had spoken over me. I put the words of men and women above the word of God and I needed to let them go. I held their opinion above God's truth. But it wasn't until verse 30 that really sealed the deal for me. It read, in the distant future, when you are suffering all these things, you will finally return to the Lord your God and listen to what he tells you. For the Lord your God is, merc is a merciful God. He will not abandon you or destroy you or forget the solemn covenant he made with his ancestors. And there it was written out for me. He is a merciful God. He will not abandon me or destroy me, and he will keep his covenant. I read that feeling like a lost sheep who had been found. So there's where I'm at, and there's where I've been. The next morning when he woke up, running all over the place with little pain, and the whole medical part of the story actually got a bit more complicated during the week, but for time's sake, she is doing a lot better. My words of encouragement would be to remember what God has done. Write it down every day if you must. 
We sometimes write these reminders on our mirror in our bedroom, and we use them as an anchor so that when something knocks us over or um, we need a reference point, it's a benchmark for us. So question if those words, that feeling, or that accusation matches the promise of God. Are they aligned with the experience I have had with the Holy Spirit, or is it contrary to the merciful God who will not abandon or destroy you? Lean in to one another. Kathleen was ready to pray for me, and I was ready to let her. And then lastly, lean in to um, when the Spirit speaks, whether in a dream, the words of a stranger, a scripture verse, or whatever. In my experience, when the Holy Spirit calls you to do something out of the ordinary, it often initially may not make sense. But if you are obedient in the small, weird things, there is so um, much more to the story, so much more that he has to offer. So take the small step and see where he leads. Thank you. Okay, um, that was incredible uh, for a whole variety of reasons, which you'll see as I wrap up here. Um, if you believe that God created life to be impossible to live apart from him and that he absolutely wants to be part of our lives, then I think the natural question that one might ask is, okay, then how, do, how does one, how do you pursue the Holy Spirit? Jasmine already gave us this answer last week, and now Shay just gave it up here with no planning. But I want to amplify it with maybe a few practical suggestions. The answer is to read your Bible, and that's point number three. If you want to pursue, recognize, understand, rely on the Holy Spirit, then literally just read the Bible. The Bible is literally God talking. And so reading it is like co-locating with him, co-locating with God. Now, if you are anything like me, maybe now also like Shay, and suffer from severe skepticism or neuroticism, you will have two problems with what I just suggested. The first is, how do I know that what I'm reading is actually intended for me? And two, what should I read? And so I want to share what's frankly worked for me personally in terms of enabling me to feel 1,000% confident that I'm hearing from the Holy Spirit through the reading of the Bible. When it comes to reading the Bible, my strong suggestion is that you intentionally seek to eliminate coincidence. What do I mean by coincidence? You see, the vast majority of us will read something in the Bible, you'll feel something, it'll speak to you, and then you're going to ask, oh, was that verse for me? Or was it just a coincidence? And in most cases, doubt is going to start to creep in, and that hope that you had that God was actually saying something to you, it's going to disappear. And so one practical suggestion I have to eliminate this doubt is actually to put yourself on a reading plan. 
So when I was going through a very, very difficult time in my personal life, I decided to do one of these Bible in a year reading plans. So just follow my logic here. You see, in those plans, the schedule gets set up front. So for me, the day I decided to do it was January 3rd, and so that's when I decided to go read this plan. But when you look at the plan, well, every day is mapped out for the rest of the year. See, every day, there's a predetermined chapter that the plan says to read. So happens to be March 18th. The chapters that I meant to read on March 18th were already decided on January 3rd. During my reading that year, I started to see things for that particular day that would speak to me so clearly about what was going on on that day. And because I had no control over what I was meant to read that day or the circumstances on that day, I knew it was the Holy Spirit at work. You see, it's not like I Googled on that day, today I'm struggling with patience and love. So let me go find a verse to speak to me about patience and love. There's nothing wrong with that, and we should be doing those things. But you see, I was on a predetermined, non-coincidental reading plan. And it would just take me to wherever it would take me. And so on that particular day, there would be some esoteric, weird, you know, unknown story about some ancient king in Israel. But in that moment, the Holy Spirit would reveal something to me about patience and love. See, not coincidental. So putting this all together, point one, God created life to be impossible to live apart from him. In other words, we have to admit now that we are helpless to do this thing on our own. There's no point in going to point two unless you get through point one. You have to admit it. You have to acknowledge it. You have to confess it. You have to believe it and live in it that we cannot do it on our own. And that's the whole point. Point two, though, is that God, who created life to be impossible to live apart from him, he actually doesn't want to live apart from us. In other words, God wants to meet us. He wants to help us. He's constantly speaking if we would only listen. For once in your life, instead of assuming it's not God, assume it is God the next time this happens. And then finally, just like Esther said during the worship service from John chapter 10, the sheep, they hear my voice. If you want to get more and more and more confident that you're hearing correctly, just get to know what his voice sounds like. At home, when I'm upstairs, and Alicia and the children are downstairs, and I hear Alicia say, Jason, I know exactly what's going on. I know her voice. I know the kids. My five-year-old son's probably lit something on fire. I don't need an explanation. I already know her voice. I know what that sounds like. And that's where we got to get to. You see the billboard? You hear a song? It doesn't have to be Christian. Anything. And, oh, that, that's God, God's trying to say something to me. When you put all this together, what comes out of this whole thing is you're going to start to bear the fruit. And this is the prize. 
The fruit is extraordinary. It's what we all want. But it's not something that you can achieve or that we can develop on our own. You can't just try to be more patient or try to love more or try to have more peace. Fruit is born. It's not achieved. So let me wrap with this. You know, sometimes in the back, I get to pray for folks after the service. And every now and then, someone will come up and say, you know, I'm having a really hard time at work, and I need some peace. Can you pray for me? And of course, I will. But amongst those prayers, what I will also pray is, God, please help this person read the Bible this week. You see, I pray that because I know that is the answer. Peace, and for that matter, all of the fruit, these are byproducts of a relationship with God. And that is what this whole Holy Spirit thing is about. It's a relationship with God that produces a life that you've never known before. And one that is better than anything else. I can promise you that. As Alicia's husband, as a technology entrepreneur, and as a witness, I can promise you that this is the life that God intended for you. And if you want it, it's yours. Let's pray. God, help us read the Bible this week. Help us hear your voice. Because I know you are constantly speaking through the weather, through billboards, through a song, through a friend's conversation, through a problem at work. We know you are constantly speaking. And we pray that through the Holy Spirit, you would allow us and enable us to live the life that we know is impossible to live without you, that you would enable us to live it and to start bearing the fruit of your Spirit. Thank you for being our best friend. Thank you for being our best friend and someone who never leaves us. We pray all this in your name. Amen.